You picked a great weekend to come worship with us. God is up to something. Our last series, Fun House, was phenomenal, and we're in the middle of a series called Light It Up, and God is Moving. Last week, matter of fact, every one of our campuses are growing right now. Our new Campbell County campus had to stack out chairs last week. It was packed out. We'll be going to two services soon in that campus. Anderson County, folks are being saved. God is moving. And so let's, let's get engaged with the movement God is doing and let's march and let's use that momentum and see our friends and family uh, members come to know the Lord. Now, two weeks ago, faith promise was the number one trending issue in social media in East Tennessee. And as you guys are getting smarter with your smartphones and Twitters and Instagrams and Facebooks and emails and all that stuff, I want to challenge you, but you know, if you have your phone on because you have a Bible on it, not because you're watching the game, but because you have a Bible on it, you just may want to tweet, hey, don't miss what God's doing this weekend at Faith Promise. You're here on your Facebook. And let's just make every weekend the number one thing in social media in East Tennessee, what God is doing at Faith Promise Church. Can we do that? So together, let's hit that. Let's do it. One other thing I need to ask you, and I'm just going to be real honest with you. We have this odd thing that happens every single year at Faith Promise. We we begin the weekend after the 4th of July, and you guys come back from vacation, and we increase attendance every weekend, every weekend. And we have this year, just like clockwork, have about 5,000 this weekend. And then in two weeks, Labor Day happens, which is your last big hoorah. And some of you will go camping, and you'll go do some other things, and so you won't be at church. So what I want to encourage you to do, are you ready? Are you, if, you're, if you're listening, say I am. Come back to church after Labor Day. Because what happens is we grow all the way, we at Labor Day, and then it drops after Labor Day. I think, I think, I could be wrong. I hope that I'm wrong. But I think it's because football starts. And many people will worship at Needland Sanctuary and bow their knee to the idol of the oblong ball. Football's fine. God comes first. Uh, four of you got that right. I can change my sermon. Football or God, what's more important? God. All right, good. Come on, I, man. Let's, have you noticed that it's getting more lively in worship? Have y'all noticed that? Have y'all noticed that people are moving up here on the stage? And so I want to challenge you. We got a little mosh pit going down here. We got some high school students who are radically in love with Jesus. Is that right down here? Come on. And what I noticed is they were down front worshiping, but everyone was standing and you can't see them. Now, many of you couldn't see them because you didn't hear till worship was over. But those of us that were actually here could not see them because everybody was standing. So man, I just want to challenge you to get engaged in worship. Amen. Because it's how we throw wood on the fire of our heart. Let's get radical. Let's get engaged. All right. This is the second message in the series called Light It Up. Okay, Faith Promise, we are here on Sunday morning at one of our campuses, and we are going to embark in what I call the drink test. We're going to give all the attenders that walk up to this table three options of a beverage. We have a cold Coke or water, we have a hot cup of coffee, and we have a lukewarm glass of milk that's been sitting out since last night. Let's see what happens. Three drink choices for you. You have cold water, you have cold Coke, you have a hot cup of coffee, and this has been sitting out since last night and it's milk, so it's, it's, it's kind of lukewarm. No, I'm not taking that one. A cold Coke, hot cup of coffee, milk that's been sitting out since last night. You choose. Water. Take it. We have hot coffee, we have cold 
Coke or water and this milk that's been sitting out since last night? Coke. What do you choose? Coke. Coke, take it. Which one would you choose? Coffee. Take the coffee. All right, man. Coffee. Take coffee. Go with the Coke. A little bit of there caffeine. A little water. Water? <laughs> Take it. You're gonna drink coffee? Aren't you too small for coffee? No. Get out of here. What about you? Coffee. Take that right there. Ice cold Coke. Take it, buddy. Yes, sir. Have a great day. Now, how many of you want a nice, lukewarm glass of milk? Nobody. Nobody. Now, I'm gonna confess. I'm just gonna just confess to you because that's the kind of guy I am. If nobody's looking, I'll still drink out of the jug. Now, in, in just good taste and moderation, how many of you guys, when your wife or your girlfriend or nobody's looking, how many of you still drink milk from the jug? Let me see your hand. Come on, hold it. There we go. All right. There's the saved men. The others are liars or whooped. So here's the deal. You know, I go to the fridge and I grab it and I look to see if Michelle's around or if my daughter Candace is around because both of them get aggravated, so I don't, you know, but if nobody's around. Now, sometimes I don't realize that Michelle's been cooking or doing something and the, and the milk's been out on the counter for three or four hours. She puts it in the refrigerator. I don't realize it's not been in there long. I walk in, I look, nobody, I grab the milk and I turn it up. You know what I'm talking about? And about the time that first swig hits right there, I realize it's lukewarm. It's loogie time. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because what, I'm sorry, that come out. I didn't mean to say that out loud. What, what, what do you want to do with lukewarm milk? You spit it out, right? So let me ask you a question. Does God want us to have a lukewarm heart toward him? No, God's not looking for lukewarm, sissified, Casper milk toast, whiny, honey, fairy Christians who are just lukewarm or cold. He's looking for red, hot, radical hearts. Y'all believe that? Do you believe God cares about the temperature of your heart? Should you care? Absolutely. Uh, theme verses, in case you were not here last weekend, Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 and 16, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold or hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you're lukewarm and neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Re uh, Proverbs chapter 26, verse 20, for the lack of wood, the fire does what? It does what? The fire goes out. Now, the number one command in the Bible, how many of you know it? Hold your hand up. You know the number one command. Hold it up. Come on. You cowards. You're afraid to hold your hand up. Come on, hold it up. All right, the number one command in the Bible, say it with me. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. That's the number one command. Now, let me ask you a question. If you're listening, say I am. Now, in that command, do you hear implicit in that passion and emotion? Y'all hear that? Passion and emotion. See, guys, if you're married, I hope you put some passion in it when you tell your wife you love her. It's not a robot. It's not, I love you. You know, I told you I, when I married you, I love you. I'll let you know if I change my mind. That's not the way to roll. It's not, not going to be good for you. There's passion involved. I love you. You communicate that. It's implied. And when we, we love God, there's passion implied. Now, as we were last weekend, God's got his hand on the thermostat. He controls the temperature, but we control the wood that we place on the hearth of our heart. On a hearth, by the way, my son Zach didn't know this is a fireplace. We, we put the, the wood in the fireplace. We have control of that. Now, I hope that this last week that you have thought about the wood for your heart. Hope that you've contemplated, you've prayed about it. What is it that lights your fire that keeps you red hot for God? 
that I hope you've considered the fuel. So let me ask you a question. If you're listening, say I am. How far will a car go without gas? Where? Nowhere. Now I love flying an airplane. And so if a car runs out of gas, what do you do? If the plane runs out of gas, what do you do? You crash and burn into a fiery ball. It's never a pleasant experience. And so, but in a gas gauge on an airplane only has to be right when it's on empty. Now that's a stupid rule, but it's a rule. So before I get in an airplane, I open both gas caps and I stick my fingers in it. I check the gauge. Then when I fly away, I look at the gas gauge and the time because I know that I can fly for five hours before I need to land. So I'm not going to fly past four hours and I'm also watching the gas gauge because there's got to be enough fuel for you to land. Now, we know that if the plane runs out of fuel, it crashes. But this is the deal, leaders, church members, attenders, folks. Many of us have watched people run out of fuel in their lives. For lack of wood, the fire goes out. And we've watched people have devastating crashes. We've all watched marriages crash. We've watched businesses crash. We've watched ministries and churches crash and burn. We watch small groups crash. We watch lives crash. Why? Because somebody was running on empty, running on empty, and running on empty, and they were not adding fuel. For a lack of wood, the fire goes out. And this is the deal. You know, if you only, when you ran out of fuel, only hurt you, it'd be one thing. But every one of us that crashes and burns, there's collateral damage, isn't there? If mom and dad crash, it hurts the kids. If the pastor crashes, it hurts the church. If the small group leader crashes, it hurts the small group. If you're a business owner, if you're a manager, if you're a leader in secular employment, and you have people that answer you and you're making decisions, if you make bad decisions, the collateral damage cuts across so many other families. Does this make sense? And so we've got to keep throwing, chunking some wood on the fire. So I want to look at Exodus chapter 3. I love Exodus chapter three, because we are going to watch God light up a leader. Now, some of you don't think you're a leader. Some of you have succumbed to the East Tennessee spirit of oppression, and you don't realize that you have gifts and talents. And, but before this message is over, you're going to see God is going to want to light you up. Does that make sense? Now, let's get some context, because a text with, without a context is a pretext. So what is the context that we're going to find Exodus 3 in? The context is this. Moses is hiding on the backside of the desert. Moses has been there for 40 years hiding on the backside of the desert. And why was Moses hiding? Because he was a fugitive from the law. He was a wanted man, FBI's number one most wanted man in Egypt for killing an Egyptian soldier. Now, if you, have, if you grew up in church, you know this story. But many folks who come here don't come back with a church, come here without a church background, and that is cool because this is one of the most well-known stories in all, the, in all of the world. Go to Muslims, they know the story. Go to Israel, they know Jews, they know the story. Go to Christians, they know the story. It's critical in the history. And so Moses is hiding on the backside of the desert. Not only was Moses hiding, but I want to tell you something else about Moses. Are you ready? Moses was a failure. He had tried to deliver Israel in his own strength and failed, and he was hiding on the backside of the desert. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt like a failure? Excuse me? Does it feel good? We hate failing. 
And because we hate failing, many of us never try anything new or never stretch out by faith because we failed before and it felt bad and we don't feel bad. And so we don't, and we think failure is a person and failure is an event. Yesterday really did end last night. Today really is a brand new day. The blood of Jesus covers all of our past and you can live and, and learn and move out and grow and do more the next day. Does that make sense? But that's not for Moses. Moses has been hiding for four decades. And we find God's man. He's not God's man yet. But God has been guiding the circumstances in his life for a long time. Now, some of you are doing what Moses did. Do you know the reason some people come to Faith Promise Church? Because it's big and you can hide. Your marriage fell apart. Something happened in your life. Maybe you're going to a church and it fell apart or just something horrible and you felt like a failure. And you said, well, I can go to Faith Promise. I can sit in the back row and hide and nobody will know me. And that can very well be true. But I do have one piece of information. God knows right where you are. You can run, but you can't hide. And there's no way to get away from God's presence. But we kind of faith promise, so I can be anonymous. I can say, God knows right where you are. You can't run from God. You go to the bottom of the sea, the psalmist say, the top of the mountain, God's spirit is there. You can't hide from God. Amen? We try, but you can't do it. And so here we find Moses hiding from God, and God shows up. Exodus chapter 3, verse 1. Now Moses was pastoring the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of the bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight, why the bush is not burned up. Now, God appears in a fire, right? Now, God appears throughout the Bible in the form of fire. I didn't say fire was God. I said God shows up in the form of fire. It says in, in uh, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 28 and 29, Therefore, since we have received a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming what? A fire. Our God is a consuming fire. We see him. Fire shows power. It shows passion. Matter of fact, this verse in Hebrews 12, 29 is a quote of Deuteronomy chapter 4. From the Old Testament through, through Abraham and God appearing as a blazing torch going between the two halves of the sacrifice, all the way up to the book of Hebrews and Revelation, we see God as a consuming fire. Now, our hearts remi- re- require constant care, Right? Right? For the lack of wood, our fire goes out. Let me tell you about God. He is the ultimate source of renewable energy. You talk about a windmill or solar, God never, ever runs dry. There are times in my quiet time that I'll say, God, I'd just like a glimpse into heaven this morning. And I'll begin to think about the verses and I'll say, God is sitting on his throne right now. There is a, a, an emerald rainbow about him. There's a sea of crystal glass, the river of living water coming out from underneath. Around are the seraphim and the cherubim shouting, holy, holy, holy. And man, me, me, just millions of angels are worshiping. And I'm trying to get this image in my mind. And pulsating from God is what is called the Shekinah glory that emanates. Now, you would think if you were emanating, you'd eventually run out. But God never runs dry. 
You may drop a well in your bucket and hit a dusty bottom, but God is the ultimate renewable source of energy. He never runs dry. Amen? His power is never quenched. His presence is always there. Our God is always capable, able, with all authority, all power, all victory, all joy, all everything that we need. And so... God shows up in a fire and he's getting Moses's attention. He's drawing Moses. Now there's a debate in the church world and many of you won't get this, but I'm just saying this for those of you that do. The debate is between an attractional model and a missional model. And people say church shouldn't be attractional. It ought to be missional. Listen, is our God an attractional God? Did he draw Abraham? Did he draw Moses? Did he draw Israel? Did he draw you? Did Jesus, every time he showed up, attract a crowd? See, our God is an attractional God. Our worship ought to be attractional. If it's alive with the Spirit of God, people ought to be coming and want to get under the spout where the glory comes out. And so it's attractional. But once God's gotten your attention and he's gotten your affection, then we become missional and we reach out to a community this far from God. So God gets Moses' attention. I love this. Now let me ask you a question. What does God need to do to get your attention? It's amazing how people could come to church and God still doesn't have their attention. Does that make sense? So what does God need to do to grab you and get your attention? To shake you out of where you are and get your attention. It said that Moses said, I must turn aside. In the Hebrew, I must deviate from my path and I'm going to focus on something else. So Moses departed from his path to go see what was going on at the burning bush. Let me ask you a question. Do you think with 5,000 of us this weekend that some of us, God has another path that he wants us to walk? Do you think with 5,000 of us this weekend that some of us are walking a path to destruction? There's a way that sees right in a man, but the way is the end is death. It says in the book of Proverbs, some of us are walking down a road that's going to destroy our marriage. Some of you are walking down a road, you're a business leader, and you're walking down a road that's going to kill your business. Some of you are small group leaders and you're making decisions. It's going to kill your group. Some of you are dating and what you're doing is going to kill the relationship. See, what are, what are you doing you need to deviate from that God's calling you to another path? See, Moses' path was plain. He'd been walking it for 40 years, shepherd, you know, there in the backside serving his father-in-law, Jethro, and he moves on. Does this make sense? He, and God calls him to another path. So God gets his attention. I love this. Verse 2, an angel appeared to him. Verse 3, Moses turns aside to see it. Verse 4, when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, said, here I am. And then he said, do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for you are standing on what? On what? Holy ground. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. So this is the deal. What, it, it, Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, he said, I will build my gathering, my gathering, my ecclesia, my called out gathering, and the gates of hell won't stand against it. He also said, where two or three of you are gathered, they're in my name, I am in your midst. So guess what you are sitting in right now? Holy ground. Y'all believe that? Y'all believe that? Come on, somebody. Now, let me ask you, did you walk in like you were entering holy ground? So you walk in with a thousand other things on your mind. Why was Dylan dancing? Man, you walked in, how come, why they got so fired up? You walked in looking around, where's my seat? Is somebody in it? 
You're thinking, you know, if I wait, I'll get sit in the back. You're thinking all these things. You don't walk in thinking God's here. I'm walking in the holy ground. Man, and I need to remove some stuff. So God said, remove your sandals. Let me ask you, come on, church. What do you need to remove so that you can stand on holy ground? What's blocking you from connecting with God? You know it. Many of you already know the Spirit of God's already spoken it to you. The Bible says in Ephesians 4, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed under the day of redemption. What is it in your life that you need to remove because God wants you on holy ground because God's got another path for you to try? What is it? Now, I want you to see what God establishes right off the bat. He gets Moses' attention. And he tells him to remove his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And as soon as he got his attention, this is what he said, verse 6. I'm the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Let me get, let me just understand the first truth God established. Are you ready? If you're listening, say I am. God said, I am and there's no other. I was, I am, I always will be. Those gods in Egypt were idols. I'm the God of Abraham. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Israel. I'm the God of creation. I'm the God that was. I'm the God that I am today. I always have been. I always be. I am. There'll never be another. I'll never be taken off the throne. I rule. I reign. I have all power. Moses, you need to understand you are standing before the great. I am that I am. See, established the fact of who he was. Can I tell you something? Jesus is not your homeboy. Jesus is the resurrected son of the most high God. And Moses realizes that he's in the presence of God. And what does Moses do? He falls to his face. The Bible said he hit his face because he was afraid. He was afraid to look at God. Listen, where's the fear, church? Where's the reverence? Where's the awe for the terrifying, all-encompassing, glorious power of this all-consuming fire, this God that we worship? Where is the awe that we get on our face and we worship and we seek God with all that we are? And listen, it's like shooting, playing, playing marbles with diamonds. We've handled the holy for so long, it's just not that big a deal to us anymore. Come on. Listen, man, we got to get it got to get this. We worship before the great I am. And then God speaks on in verse 7. He establishes, gets Moses' attention. And then he establishes that he's holy and that he's the one true God. In verse 7, the Lord said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. I've given heed to their cry because they're taskmasters. I'm aware of their suffering, so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. Can I tell you something? Listen, look up here. Come on. God knows right where you are. And some of you think God doesn't know your pain. God doesn't know your problems. Some of you ladies who haven't been able to give birth yet, you're wondering, does God know that I want a child? Some of you need, there's a child for you. Some of you, <laughs> some of you are, you know, you're, does God know I need a job? Does God know that I'm going to lose my house? Does God realize where I am? Does God know what's going on? Where are you, God? Can I tell you something? Listen, God knows right where you are. For 400 years, Israelites have been in slavery in Egypt, and God told Abraham, your, your descendants are going to go to Egypt. 400 years, they're going to be in slavery, and then I'm going to send somebody to get them. I'm going to, and that's, God is following his word, exactly. So listen to me, listen to me. Whether you believe it or not, God knows your pain. The Bible says he keeps every one of your tears in a bottle. He keeps every one of your prayers in a bowl. And God knows right where you are. Not only, listen, does God know, 
But I love this about God. God always has a plan. So he tells Moses, I know Moses. Not only do I know, but I got a plan. I'm going to get them out of Egypt. I'm going to bring them back to this mountain. They're going to give them a land, a spacious land full of milk and honey. They're going to worship me right here at this mountain. And Moses was thrilled. Woo! Hey, man, he had a Holy Ghost hoedown. I mean, he was Pentecostal. He was celebrating. Woo! Yes, God. I wondered why. I wondered how come you didn't go get them. I didn't realize you cared. God, this is awesome. This is ecstatic. This, woo! Until verse 10. Because in verse 10, God said, my plan is you, Moses. Go get them. And Moses said, oh, wait a minute, God. You've been good up until now, but you have made a mistake. Does God make mistakes? Moses said, you got the wrong guy. Here I am. Send him. Here I am. Send her. So Moses is having a Holy Ghost hoedown until God said, you're the man. And then Moses freaks out. You ever freaked out when God told you something he wanted you to do? Witness or give or serve? You say, oh, oh, wait a minute, God. Hold everything. Wait, 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 whoa. See, God says it, and we, we want God to do it. We still want God to use us, right? Right? And read on from verse 10 through almost the end of the whole next chapter. The argument lasts. Moses argues with God. Moses argues, and Moses gives a litany of excuses why he's not God's man. Argument and excuse. Argument and excuse. You got the wrong guy, you got the wrong gal. Now, we all know this weekend somebody should give in the offering, right? Do we all know that? Just not me. Right? Come on, be real. Do not make me call your name. Somebody ought to give, just not me. Somebody ought to serve. Man, somebody ought to take care of your rotten kids back there in the back. Should they? Somebody ought to do it, just not who? Just not me. Somebody ought to serve the children's ministry. Come on, somebody ought to do it. It's just not me. I've been back there. Some of your kids, I've wanted to spank. And I thought about, I thought about asking for permission. By the way, you care if I spank that kid? Because I've got, I mean, I had Mike and Zach. I'm an expert at busting them up. And so, and so we say, yeah, let somebody else. Somebody ought to open their home up for small group, shouldn't they? Shouldn't somebody? You're afraid to even, come on. Just not me. Somebody ought to invite their, my friends to church, just not me. Somebody to fill every campus, just not me. Somebody ought to throw some wood on the hearth, just not me. You see a pattern? Moses' pattern is our pattern. 4,000 years ago, we haven't changed a bit. The pattern is the same. We still do it. We make excuses. Does this this make sense? It's it's exactly what we do. We we walk through. We do it. Somebody ought to do it. Somebody ought to have it. Somebody ought to take care of it. It ought to be somebody ought to be doing something, just not me. Is the church of God not filled with arguments and excuses? Excuse me? Come on, guys. You know it is. It's full of arguments and excuses. But as you read on, and I'm not going to read it, but if you read on all of Moses' arguments, God was unimpressed with. Every one of your excuse, excuses, they'll never hold water when you stand before Jesus at the beam of seat. Does this, make, does this make sense? Are you with me? And one of the things I want to tell you about Moses, because we all begin like Moses, but we don't end like Moses. Moses stayed fired up for 40 more years. 40 when he killed the Egyptian, 40 when God caught him at the bush, and 40 when he died on this mountain 40 years later after he brought the children of Israel and did what God told him to do. How did Moses stay fired up? Are you ready? 
Are you ready? Say, I'm ready. He stayed at the foot of the fire. Moses stayed at the foot of the fire of God. He was right there. He was doing exactly what God wanted to do. As a matter of fact, later on, Moses shows up and he asks to see God's face. Remember in, in chapter three, he's afraid. Now he wants to see God's face. He stayed close to the fire. He was up on the mountain. He built a tabernacle. He went there every day. Matter of fact, he walked so closely with, to the fire that he came back off the mountain. His hair turned white and his face was glowing. And he didn't even know it. People were afraid of him because Moses did this. Are you ready? Are you ready? Moses got past excuses to the point of excelling in the spirit. Listen, if you'll accept an excuse, you'll never excel. If you'll accept an excuse, you will never excel. But it took the anger of God. God finally said, listen, Moses, shut up and get your butt to Egypt. I don't know if he said butt. But he said, listen, every excuse, every excuse, he, it, what God had to do, listen, is move Moses out of Moses' way. What does God have to do to get you out of your own way? so that you can walk fired up, so that God can light you up? What does he got to do? What excuse are you standing behind? Pastor, you don't know my past. You don't know what I've done, where I've been. Yeah, I've had some bad marriages. I've, man, I was a drug dealer. I did this, I did that. Moses was a fugitive and a murderer. The apostle Paul was there when they killed the first Christian, Stephen, when they stoned him. David was, a, was an adulterer and a murderer. Aren't you glad God doesn't use perfect people? See, God wants to use you. What excuse? Moses was a fugitive. Moses stuttered. Moses was a terrible leader. Moses was a failure. Moses sucked in his self-image because he was such a failure. He didn't think God could do anything. But when he got near the fire, the fire changed Moses. When your fire gets red hot, you get radical, then God can transform you and you will move past failure, move past that horrible self-image, and you'll see yourself as someone that mighty God can use. Does that make sense? Come on, somebody give him some praise. So the, the question is this, are you ready to get lit up? Are you ready to get lit? Now see, I'm gonna, it begins with the relationship. Now, you know, some of us watch movies and television, and some of you have favorite television shows, and you've watched them so many times, you think you know the people. You know what I'm talking about? My wife is an NCIS fanatic. And I'll say, Michelle, you want me to tell you the end of this one? Because we've seen it, you know, like 12 times. And she said, well, it might change this time. I got to watch it again. And so or she'll be walking and I'll say, Michelle, what, what are you, where are you going? She said, I'm going to watch Gibbs save the world. And I say, Michelle, I'm going to bed. Why don't you come to bed with me and you can know me and watch me save the world? And she said, I'll choose Gibbs. It's hard to be me. I'm just going to tell you. It's hard to be me. And so, and so we think that we know people that we've never met. We don't know them. And so, listen, if you're going to be red hot for God, you have to know God through his son, Jesus. And so there are a lot of us that are religious. We grew up in church. We did the deal. We got confirmed or got this or got that. Or, man, we went through the class and we did this. But we've never, you've never met the Lord. Because you can't be red hot for somebody that you don't know. And so if you'll say, Chris, I'm not even sure if I know him. But man, I, I want to know that I'm saved. I don't even know where I am. If that's you, just slip up your hand. Pray for me, Pastor. Come on, slip it up. Come on, here we go. Slip it up. Back here in the back. Come on, over here. Who else? Come on. Come on, back here. Who else? Let's go. Come on, hold up. Right here, right here. 
Come on, who else over here? Come on, back over here, back over here, come on. Now let's pray with these folks, church. Pray this prayer out loud while these folks pray. Let's pray this prayer. I know you're saved, but let's say it with them. Say, dear Jesus, I know I've sinned. I'm so sorry. Forgive me. Come into my heart. I confess you as my Lord, my ruler, my boss. I give up my life and I ask for yours. By faith, I will follow you. Fire up my heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, let's celebrate life in the house of God. Woo! Now, now this is the deal. There are many of you that are believers and you're not standing on holy ground. And you want God to light a fire in you like he lit in Moses. If that's you, light my fire. Just slip up your hand. Just slip it up. Right up. Come on. I want to be lit up. Come on. Light, raise it high. Little lightning rod. God, we want the lightning to fall. We want the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. God, would you fill us? Would you thrill us? Would you move in power? Would you move in glory? Would you show us, God, what wood we need to throw in our fire so that we stay radical and red hot? We live in a world that hates you and we want to love you. We live in a world that's running from you and we want to run to you. We live in a world that mocks you, but God, we want to worship you. We want our hearts to stay hot. We want to be radical. We want revival. And we ask you to light us up in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, come on, the church, what a mighty God we serve. Now, this is the deal. We're going to close in 30 seconds. There's going to be some pastors down here, men and women. If you need to pray some before you leave, they'll be down here waiting on you. If you prayed that prayer with me, you gave your heart to Jesus, take the communication card and fill it out and say, I prayed with the pastor, I need baptism or sign me up for the next steps or I need to serve or get in a group, whatever. Fill that card out, put it in the offering box. Hey, let me ask you a question. Has it been good to be in the house of God? Amen. Be back next week and bring some people with you. We love you. Be blessed and have a walk red hot.